Amen. Amen. Would you open up with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4? Is it okay if we do the announcements and the offering at the end? It's going to have to be. Amen. As I pray and just seek the Lord for his direction as to what God would have me to speak on, I pray and I I labor every week in seeking God and making sure I have God's direction that I don't just speak my own thoughts or something I heard somewhere or whatever, but I really want to know, God, what is your word? What is your will? What is the message for victory and how can I lead the church? Please pray for me. Take that very seriously. I do thank you for your generosity uh, last Sunday, Pastor's Appreciation Day, you guys just blessed us so much uh, with your, your cards, your gifts, your generosity, just, just amazing. You did make us feel appreciated and blessed and honored, and for that we're grateful. Amen. Second Timothy, I want to start a series called Seeing Clearly. Seeing Clearly. I want to look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, before we read the text. There's something about getting older. Don't you find that your vision... Some of you don't want to respond, but you, I'm talking to you. Uh, October 1st, I turned 57 years old, and some of you are saying... My, the pastor doesn't look that old. (laughs) How many of you have begun to notice that you don't see as well as you once did? I notice it when um, I'm looking at my phone and if I have my glasses on, I have to take them off to look at my phone. Or if you notice when I read the scriptures, I take my glasses off because I'm nearsighted and I have glasses for distance, and it used to be, even with my glasses, they weren't, my eyesight wasn't as, uh, as challenging. I could read my Bible, but now my arms need to get longer uh, because I either need bifocals or I need longer arms. Um, and so, you know, what's true in the natural is also true in the spiritual. Spiritually, our vision can change. Our vision can change as we get older spiritually or as we walk with God longer and longer In a passage in the book of Revelation, I won't have you turn there, but there was a church, a literal church, a real church, not uh, symbolism or, or allegory or anything like that, but a church in the first century, probably around 90 or 100 AD, not so far removed from the, the life of Jesus and the life of the apostles and the ministry of the apostles at that time. Think about it. But this church had gotten a little older, and the Bible says they got to a place, and we have to be careful of this, 
They got to a place that they said, they said, not God, they said. How many of you know there's a difference between what you say and God says? There's even a difference between what other people say and what God says. But they said about themselves, we are rich, we are, we are all set, we're good, we don't need anything. There was a place of smugness, there was a, a place of pride, there was a place of, of, of overconfidence in self. But that's what they said. But you know what God said? God said, you're poor, you're wretched, you're naked, and you're blind. You're blind. A church that had seen clearly at one point now had come to a place of spiritual blindness. And the Lord counseled them. The Lord said to them, listen, let me, let me give you an eye salve. Let me anoint your eyes that there might be a healing of those spiritual cataracts that you might see clearly. And you see, the issue is, all of us, I'm sure we all at one time saw things clearly. But life happens. Hurts, bitternesses, pride, things happen in life, and we kind of get jaded. We kind of get affected by what happens to us. And, you know, at one point we saw things clearly. We knew right from wrong. We knew the difference. This is right. This is wrong. We knew between truth and error. But as time goes on, there are life experiences that happen. And you know what? Sometimes, listen to me, sin enters. You've got to listen to this. You've got to get it. If you're going to see clearly, you have to have the truth reveal things. But see, what happens, sin enters in our life, even as Christians, and it comes in so subtly, and we don't realize it, but then we begin to see things distorted. Sin enters in our life, and if it's not dealt with, let's face it, sin enters all our lives, but we have to deal with it. We deal with it through repentance, confession, and forsaking it. But, but, but if sin enters in and we don't deal with it, there's a spiritual fog, not from God. But there's a haze that comes over us. And what we once saw clearly, now we do not see as clearly anymore. How do I know this? First or second Peter, New Testament. I want to read a couple of verses of Scripture. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. It says, For if these things are yours and abound, what was Peter writing about the previous verses? About being diligent to add to your, your, your spiritual life goodness and kindness and so on. He said, If these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness. You see it? Even to blindness. And has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. You see, what is true in the, the natural is true in the spiritual realm. We can become blinded even as believers the religious leaders of Jesus' time, the ones who knew the Torah, they knew the five books of the law, they memorized large portions of it, they, they adhered to a strict uh, uh, guideline, ceremonial laws and, and, and all of that. And you know what Jesus said to them? You are blind guides. 
You're blind guides. And you know what they said? You, you're talking to us? And, G, and they said, we see. No, Jesus said, because you say you see, you're blind. See, that was a pride. But you know the ones that really see? Jesus said, the ones who acknowledge, I don't see. I'm blind. I need your grace. I need the eye salve. I need you to touch me. You see, clarity or sight comes to those who admit they can't see clearly. Yet what's happening in our day, I want you to listen to me this morning. We are seeing a crisis of truth. We are seeing a crisis of truth in our day of epic proportions. There is a crisis in our nation, in our world, and it is a crisis of truth. There is a cynicism and a confusion at best, and then there's an antagonism and a militancy against the truth at worst. Leaving many Christians, many churchgoers, questioning and wondering, what is truth? Pilate, when Jesus stood before him, At the end of Jesus' life, when he was about to be crucified, he's being tried by the Roman government, and Pilate is standing in judgment. And Pilate said to Jesus, why don't you speak to me? Don't you know I have the power to, to, to crucify you? And Jesus said, you could have no power unless it be given to you from above. And Jesus would speak to him, and, and, and Pilate would ask, then where is your kingdom? And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. He says, but for this reason was I born, that I might be a witness to the truth. Jesus said, for this reason was I born, to be a witness to the truth. And Pilate cynically and arrogantly responds by saying, what is truth? And and. Instead of waiting for an answer, instead of asking a follow-up question or waiting for a response, Pilate turns away. He really didn't want to know. But he was saying it cynically. What is truth? What is truth? 2 Timothy, a couple of verses of Scripture I want us to look at in these next few moments. Chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. Paul, he is writing his last words. These are the last recorded words of Paul. Paul wrote about half of the New Testament, half of the 27 books that we have. Paul wrote almost half of them. And this is his last letter. This is his last correspondence, last recorded words he ever spoke. This is his last letter. His last correspondence, his last Facebook post, his last tweet, his last Instagram. How many of you know someone's last words are really important? And here's what he says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth. 
and will be turned aside to fables. But you, but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. This is Paul's last correspondence, his last letter. What's most uh, prominent in this epistle, in the four chapters of 2 Timothy that he wrote to his, his understudy, his disciple, if you will, the one that he left in charge of the church at Ephesus, uh, Timothy, he leaves these words to him, but, but, but what's most concerning to Paul at this time is the coming apostasy. If you, if you read through the book, you'll see Paul dealing with the issues of doctrine, false teaching, error. And the major concern that Paul has is apostasy. So you, so you ask, what is apostasy? It is from the Greek word that means defection, departure, revolt, rebellion, from and against the truth. What Paul is concerned with is an apostasy, not of the world, but of believers, an apostasy of the church. You see, the devil's strategy throughout human history, right from the beginning, has always been to question and challenge truth. Like Pilate, what is truth? But Satan, we see in the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis, in the, in the beginning of the, the human race, Adam and Eve, what did Satan say to them? Has God really said? Did God really say that? What was Satan doing? Trying to inject doubt into the minds of Adam and Eve. And he is doing that today at epic and on epic levels and proportions that probably we have never seen before in our lifetime. What was Satan doing? He was saying, how can you be sure? How do you know that's truth? How do you know that's right? Today, people say that, well, can you be so certain? You know, there are a lot of truths. I have truth, you have truth. My truth is not your truth. That's what people say. There are a lot of philosophies in the world. There are a lot of movements. There are a lot of ideologies. There are a lot of belief systems. What is truth? So many posts, so many voices, so many celebrities, so many famous people, athletes, influencers, trying to influence in what they believe is truth. It don't matter how pretty they are, handsome they are, rich they are, talented they are, how great they are in the eyes of the world. If it does not line up with the word of God, it's wood, hay, and stubble. It means nothing. I don't care whose name is after it. You see, but what's problem is they're deceiving a generation. Unfortunately, that's where most people get their truth. In quotes. That's where a lot of people get their truth. But there is the truth as it is revealed in God's holy word. You see, that's why Paul, with, with a fire in his eyes and a, and a passion in, in his voice, he thunders these words, and look what he says in verse 1, I charge you. This ain't something to take lightly. Hello? I charge you before God 
God was calling, God was calling uh, uh, God as, as an audience, if you will, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And look what he says. Look at, listen to the words. You know, this ain't, this ain't fluff. This ain't um, hype and, and, and hyperbole or exaggeration. Paul is speaking truth. He says, before Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. There's coming a judgment day, brothers and sisters. There's coming a judgment day that the world has no clue about. And unfortunately, many of the church, church people don't even know about. That's why I feel to do a series on, on seeing clearly, not just about the word of God, but about ourselves, about our sinful human nature, seeing clearly about uh, the cross, salvation, and different themes because, because we're so skewed and, and, and we, see, we see so dimly and, and, and we don't see clearly. But here's the challenge that Paul gives to Timothy. He calls God, Almighty God, and the Lord Jesus Christ as witness. There's a solemn and sobering challenge, nothing to be trifled with or taken lightly. You know, for me as a pastor, ministry, uh, ministry would be a breeze. It would be easy um, if it wasn't for uh, the crushing, almost crushing burden uh, and responsibility of preaching and teaching the word of God. To, to stand up here and to get up here, I mean, this is easy, so to speak. It's a little more difficult in the second service. <laughs> but for me to be up here is, is easy in the sense I'm here. But to get here, to, to pray, to study, to wrestle, it's, it's not easy because I take it very seriously as I ought to and as the word of God prescribes. James chapter three says, not many of you should be teachers. We all wanna be teachers and preachers, but, but James says, not many of you should, knowing that you will receive a stricter judgment. So I stand up here with, with that burden, knowing that I'll receive the stricter judgment before God. And so Paul is challenging Timothy, saying, listen, before God, before the Lord Jesus Christ, I charge you, preach the word. Preach the word. That might not sound profound, but more so than ever, there needs to be a preaching and a teaching of the word. You see, we as Christians, we are primarily people of the truth. Amen? We're people of the scriptures. We're primarily followers of him who said, I am the truth. Hello? Jesus is the truth. And the word of God gives us the truth about ourselves, about our sin, about our need, about our eternity, about end times. Hosea 4, 6, the prophet said, my people are destroyed. God says, my people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. Why was there a lack of knowledge? Because there was an indictment against the prophet and the priest, the spokesman for God, who were not preaching the word. In the book of Jeremiah, we hear over and over again, the, the prophets were, were speaking peace when there was no peace. 
speaking niceties and, 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 and platitudes and, and, and nice sayings. And, 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 the, and God says, you're healing my people only lightly or slightly. You're putting untempered mortar on a wall that's fallen down. What is untempered mortar? mortar? It's just a little coat that can't hold the wall in place, and it just makes it look good, but it doesn't fundamentally change the, the integrity of the structure. The Word of God changes us from the core of our being when we receive the truth of God's Word. And the prophet and the priest and the pastor and the teacher are primarily preachers of the Word of God, of the truth of God. No matter what culture says, no matter what people say, no matter what happens, God's Word is still truth. John 17, 17, Jesus said to the Father, sanctify them. Sanctify them through your word, and your word is truth. Thy word is truth. Matthew twenty two twenty nine. Jesus said, you are mistaken. You are mistaken. You are in error, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. So that was the challenge. What was the crisis? In verses 3 and 4, we see it. For the time will come when men, uh, when, uh, when they will not endure sound doctrine, Sound preaching, sound teaching. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they will heap for themselves teachers. They will turn their ears away from the truth. They will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned unto fables. Our culture, by and large, has rejected truth. Hollywood, the athletic world, Financial movers and shakers, TV programs, movies, politicians have by and large rejected the truth of the word of God. 50 years ago, listen, 50 years ago, anyway, in this country, 50 years ago in our culture, we had a moral consensus. 50 years ago, we had a moral consensus. What do I mean by that? Basically, as a whole, not that we got it right, not that, that, that we were sinless or, or perfect, we weren't by any means, but, but as a whole, this nation declared, this is right, that's wrong. There was a moral consensus between right and wrong. Today, listen, listen to the statistic. Today, only one in four believe that the Bible is the truth. It's the lowest in, in since polling has been taken in this country, I believe over 40 years since polling taken on these particular subjects and questions and issues. Only one in four believe the Bible is the truth. Without the truth, we don't have a moral compass. Without the truth, we have no definitive roadmap. Without the Bible, we are left to whatever feels good to our sinful human nature. And how many of you know that is a recipe for disaster? Man left to himself, to his own sinful nature, will reap a harvest of iniquity and sin and destruction. But really, we need to stay true to the Scriptures. You see, the crisis Paul is warning Timothy about is not what's going on in the culture, but what's going on in the church. I don't know if you got that. Let me say it again. The challenge or the, the crisis that Paul was speaking to was really a crisis that was happening already in the church. Because what did he say? For the time will come 
when men will not endure sound doctrine. He's not talking about culture. He's talking about people in the church. Believers were turning away from the truth. They once had clung to the truth, once were followers of Christ, believed in the truth of God's word. Now they follow half-truths. Now they follow fables. Now they follow feel-good messages. Let me read to you uh, these two verses from uh, the message. This is verse 3 in the message translation. You're going to find that there will be times when people will have no stomach for solid teaching but will fill up on spiritual junk food. Catchy opinions that tickle their fancy. They'll turn their backs on truth and chase mirages. But you, keep your eye on what you're doing. Accept the hard times along with the good. Keep the message alive. Do, not, uh, do a thorough job as God's servant. I like the way it says it in the, mess- in the amplified, I'm so, uh, the message. Itching ears. What's itching ears? It's, it's desiring novelty. It's desiring what pleases our flesh. You see, because of the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, which is the unholy trinity, <laughs> the big three, what we see, what our, our human nature desires and the pride of life that we all have to struggle with and die to. If we're not careful, we'll find preachers, teachers, and even churches where we will be made comfortable in our sin. Obviously, you're here this morning, and, and I don't say this arrogantly or proudly, but, but you hear truth. You hear the word of God, and you want to hear that. And I, I commend you for that, but, but that doesn't mean my job is done. It also means the continual, what does it say? Paul says that you, you convince, you rebuke at times, you exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. I've had friends who don't come to church here and, and colleagues in ministry or people who have known me over the years, and... They, they'll come to our church and they'll hear me preach. And they've told me, you have never changed in your preaching. And I wear that as an, a badge of honor because I, I, I trust that I'm, I'm relevant. I trust that I've grown in my preaching. But, but I've never changed fundamentally in preaching the word of God, preaching Christ and him crucified, preaching the truth as it's in the word of God. But as I close my message, Paul's challenge to Timothy was to preach the word because there's a crisis. Brothers and sisters, we have to commit ourselves to be people of the word of God, but not just to hear the word because that's not enough. The Bible says, don't just be hearers, but be doers of the word. And there are two responses that I wanna just close with that we find in the scriptures. In the book of Acts chapter seven, we have Stephen, who was the first martyr of the church, killed for his faith. But he's preaching to a group of people who should have known better. But the Bible tells us in Acts chapter seven, verse 51, at the conclusion of his message, I hope we never get this response here. But the Bible tells us that they became furious And they cried out with a loud voice and they covered their ears and they ran at the preacher. 
Why? Because they didn't like the message. They didn't like, they didn't, they, they didn't, they, it wasn't pleasing to them, but it was the truth. But here's the, here's the one I want us to have. You know the story of King Josiah, one of the godliest kings in Judah's history. And while they were refurbishing, rebuilding the temple that had been in, in disrepair, the Bible says that they found the book of the law. Imagine, the Bible was lost in church. But if you remember, I've told you before, uh, that the, the one, uh, the biggest bin, the biggest box that we have in our church of lost and found has been Bibles. We've had dozens of Bibles lost and found in church. What really gets me is though people know they're missing. But, but look at the scriptures, how relevant. The Bible, the, the, the law was lost in the house of God. And when they found it, they brought it to the king and they read it before him. And you know what the Bible says? And, and I plead with you, may we be people, and I pray that my heart is like this, sincerely. When Josiah heard the word, the Bible says, do you have that scripture? Be, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that you would become a desolation and a curse. You tore your clothes and you wept before me. I also have heard you. The Bible says of Josiah, I think it's in another passage, that his heart was tender and he wept at the preaching and teaching of the word of God. May our hearts be tender this morning. Amen. Amen. May our hearts be, be surrendered to God. May God help us to once again see clearly. We are in 2020, and I know it would have been cliche-ish if we did it at the beginning of the year, seeing clearly, but who would have known, who could have prophesied what we would be facing as a country, what we would be facing with the pandemic and all that's going on in our world and realizing the need more than ever to see clearly. Someone said, and I close with this, true spirituality, this is their, their opinion and their assessment, but true spirituality is seeing clearly. And I, I believe that's pretty profound. You have to really think about it a bit and have understanding. It means you have discernment. It means you, you have revelation. It means you understand God, his workings, his word, his ways. But true spirituality is not a lot of things we think, who shouts the loudest, who sounds the most spiritual, whatever. But it's seeing clearly, knowing right from wrong, knowing truth from ever, error, discerning between good and evil. So may we, by the grace of God this morning, see clearly. Would you stand together with me? I'm going to pray, and then we'll close with some announcements and uh, just a prayer over the, uh, the offering. How many Josiahs do we have today? Not by physical name, but by spiritual identification. To be like Josiah, to have a tender heart before God. We've all had our heart broken. We all have had our heart hurt. Life has done that to all of us. But I don't want to become bitter. I want to become better. I don't want to be hardened. I want to be humble before God. So can we pray together? Father, thank you for your word. 
God, I pray for spiritual revelation that we would truly see clearly today, that we would be people of spiritual vision, God. Lord, I pray that you would anoint our eyes with eye salve, God, that special ointment, God, that comes from you as we humble and submit to you, God, that you might heal our eyes, that we might begin to see as we ought to see. Father God, I pray your blessing upon the word of God today and upon your people. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. Amen. And amen. God bless you. You may be seated.